0: This is Open to Hope Radio featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss.
1: Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with The Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, with my co host and mother, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom.
2: Hi, Heidi. Well, we've got a great guest today, a couple of great guests. We just uh, met and but we have our friend Jill, who's going to be on the show, and you're going to be introducing them in a minute. But I want to say our topic today is dealing with the death of a parent. And you know, this is an adult person dealing with the death of an adult parent, and we really minimize these. And it's interesting because one of the major visits on our website is for death of an adult, uh, adults dealing with the death of a parent. And I, I just think it it gets minimized because, uh, you know, it, I, I guess it's because it's supposed to be the natural flow of things. But uh, it's a it's a tough thing. For I, people.
1: I, I agree with you, mom, and I know you've lost both your parents and and they're, I they, hope so. they were they were my be grandparents old by
2: now. <laughs>
1: well but, yeah that being said they were they were you know in their what early 80s when they died and the thing about it is you know we we only spend 40 to 60% of our lifetime with our parents mm-hmm. and in most cases they will die before us and so it's a loss that at some point everybody you know most people are going to have to deal with and it's very very hard like you said and and we don't know like you didn't know your world without your parents in it you know, right. I don't know my world without my parents. And certainly our our guest today, who's a dear friend of mine, Jill, didn't know her world without her dad in it. So it is a really significant and difficult loss.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yep. And, um, I just think that people kind of normalize
3: way too much that even though, you know, in a lot of ways my dad lived a very full life, um, you know, I think people do minimize the loss. Like now, yeah, I've been with my father 45 years and my parents 45 years, of living so, you know,
2: learning to live in the world without them. And right.
1: Absolutely. And that, that's Jill Harrington for our view, listeners out there. I'm going to introduce you, Jill, and Stefan today. And he is here with us in the studio. He is a music therapist who is going to sing for us and who was at Jill's dad's bedside as he died. Um, so let me let me do that, and then we'll, we'll keep talking about this very important to- topic. As uh, my mom and Jill said, we are going to be talking about dealing with the death of a parent today. And Dr. Jill Harrington is a counselor and a researcher with over 16 years in the field of social work who recently helped care for her father through his end of life. She and her family received music therapy as part of their hospice care. Stefan Benkowski, who is here today with me in the studio, is pursuing a master's in music therapy through Colorado State University. He is a certified music therapist for Calvary Hospice and serves patients and families in all boroughs of New York City. Welcome to the show, Jill and Stefan. Thank, Thank you.
3: Thank you, Heidi.
2: It's great to have you guys on today. Um, as we said, an important topic. And, uh, Jill, you know, when you lose a dad, uh, wow, that's a lot. I mean, I just think of myself now, even sitting on your dad's knee as a little kid and all that kind of thing. It's really tough, huh? It,
3: it is. I mean, and, and my, um, it, it for us, you know, it was um, my father when he he fought prostate cancer pretty valiantly for five years. I mean, I'm so grateful to the folks at Memorial Sloan-Kettering Hospital and um, his doctors there. And my dad had a very, very strong will to live, and he really didn't get debilitated with his cancer until about eight weeks before he actually died. Wow. And even though I'd been a social worker... Who um, to work with dying patients in a bone marrow transplant, unit? it's very different when it's your own parent. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and any healthcare professional, I think, can say that, that you do in some ways get close to your patients and, you know, but there's a certain kind of professional, um, you know, you don't share a common life with people that you treat. And so for us, it was my dad came home, um, you know, once he was diagnosed with pneumonia and then he came home. We kind of knew in those last six weeks that it was time to call hospice, which, you know, so grateful to the folks at Calvary. My grandfather had died there of lung cancer in Bronx in the 1970s, and I was so glad to connect with a friend who worked up there and said they had home hospice care because that was his wish was really to— he had the support of his family, and um, we wanted to take care of him. It is a monumental task for a family to take care of— Oh, Jill, I like number. that. I like that you say that it's a monumental
2: task because uh, sometimes it can get a little bit like, oh, you know, you take them home and hospice is there, and but it's hard. It's hard. Well,
1: well, and I'm thinking of Jill's dad. I mean, he was one of New York's finest. I mean, he was a former FDNY. I mean, once an FDNY, always one. And and he was a real New Yorker, and he was tough, and he was independent, and he was used to taking care of other people.
3: Yes, which, you know, I mean, Gloria Gloria and Heidi, it is, I mean, 43% of Americans now die on home hospice care, and it is wonderful if you're able to really deal with it as a family. I mean, uh, you don't necessarily get skilled nursing. Um, They will evaluate you, so it may be four hours to eight hours of of skilled nursing care a day, but when you have a patient who needs round-the-clock care, who needs dressing changes and you know, who's also starting to lose oxygen to their brain, and they're slowly, you're slowly starting. My dad died very slowly. He was also extraordinarily healthy, and he was a fighter. He had been in the Navy. He was a Golden Gloves boxer. He was a New York City fireman. He was a runner, you know. So he was a really, he, he had, he was a very strong guy, and he had an extremely um you know, again, strong will to live. And so his death process was very, very, very slow. So it was very difficult because, you know, he went through night terrors, and we kind of watched him die. The dying process is not really for the faint at heart, especially Mm -hmm. with someone you really care about and you deeply love. Um, So the family's kind of all grieving together. Um, Mm -hmm. you're, You're going through this anticipatory grief process, and there's a lot of anxiety um, and I think that's kind of where like music therapy comes in. You know, Calvary provided a great um, um, services, um, you know comp, you know, integrative services between nursing care and social care and pastoral care. And when I got the call from Stelon, who was the music therapist, at first, you know, being a social worker and working with people end of life and also working with them breathe my life. At first I was a little resistant because there was so much just going on in the household, you know, with people coming in and out and, you know, your anxiety is pretty high because you don't know when the person's going to die. So you're kind of doing round the clock care and you don't want to really leave them for a moment. And there's people kind of coming in and in and out of your house. And we didn't know necessarily how he would react because he was in between this world and the next so um, when Stefan called, the first time he called, um, he was just so patient and explained what he did as a music therapist. And I said to him, you know, let us get through the first day or two and maybe give us a call back. And well, Let wonderful... me hear what, Stefan, I want to hear yeah.
2: what you said to Jill. What do you do as a music therapist, she said. Sure.
4: Well, just kind of going back to what she mentioned about How chaotic this experience can be, you know. Like she said, there's a lot going on, and often a lot of it revolves around kind of the the clinical work and um, the care, and everything's very uh, regimented, and everybody's worried about the medical aspect of it, Um, and of course the social workers work on some. uh, logistical things and emotional issues as well, but um, basically what I explained is, you know, music therapy kind of provides an escape from all of that chaos. Um, and through this chaos, the basically what I explained to her is that the music, even though there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of um, high energy, a lot of things going on. The music brings down that energy, and um, the music is played in a way that is very calming and relaxing using a lot of different techniques. And so not just kind of the music itself is very relaxing and calming, but it's specifically chosen um, for reasons to um, promote some conversation within the family, promote a lot of life review, bringing back a lot of memories, sharing stories, and so it's kind of a, a way of Honoring and culminating um, the patient's life, and so I just kind of explained. I'm I'm always aware of exactly where the patients are, and that's what that's kind of the key to music therapy. Is you always meet the patients where they're at, and because. Some patients, you can tell it's very high anxiety, high energy, and they need something very calming. Mm-hmm. Others, they might be more isolated, more more bored, and then in that case, you know, you might want to provide something a little more stimulating. So it's it's very individualized. So when I was talking to Jill, you know, I, I just explained, you know, I'll just be there as a calming presence. Very supportive, and whatever you need in the moment is is what I'm there for. Whatever I can do to to help is what I what I provide.
2: Wow! And and how much were you there with the family? I know you were there when he died, right? I,
4: I wasn't I wasn't present uh, for the death, but I was. You know, I I, I saw him I, I, probably about three or four times. I would say. Do you remember exactly? Yeah. Jill? About
3: the fourth time was the day he actually you came in about. 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. He died at 9 o'clock that night. Right. Yes, yes. And um, he was like, he was dying. It mm-hmm. was just a matter of time. But um, he wasn't really conscious at that point. But, you know, you never know what's going on inside somebody exactly. while they're dying. It doesn't mean they're not present.
1: Exactly. And, and Jill, is that when Stefan uh, played Here Comes the Sun?
3: He did. He did. I he love did a lot that. of. And what was beautiful about it, I mean, that day itself, we were all kind of there. My mom, my sister, and I, um, and my, my the grandchildren came in. They were all there, like, right when, when he died. We also had a, a night nurse that came. Um, but the, the couple of visits before, what was really beautiful about it is the first visit you were there, my, my father has one surviving sibling, and my uncle was there at the time, and my sister and mom, I was out, I think, running some errands, probably doing the things you need to do as a family, grocery shop, all the practical stuff. And it was really beautiful for my uncle because Stefan played some music, I think, um, that, and my father was conscious at the time. Uh, it, was, it was very, in a way, healing for my uncle because you played some music that he and my dad kind of shared together.
1: Mm-hmm. And is that when he played Danny Boy?
3: He did, that was the first Danny Boy. So my, my grandfather was from Ireland, and um, all our relatives on my dad's side still live there. And that was a, stro- a song that my grandfather loved and had a strong connection with his, his children. And so my dad absolutely had an affinity for that song, and I so did my uncle, and I, he sang it for the first time to kind of bring them, it was it was, it was was a co-joining moment, like a really strong moment for my uncle and my father. I know at least when my father was conscious, he talked about how, how much that really meant to him for you to sing that wow. song, Stefan. I'm
1: Thank wondering, you. Mom, if we should have Stefan sing it now. I think it's an excellent idea.
4: <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> and before I do that, I did want to say, too, uh, just throwing this out there as well, um, You know, one thing that I – that really stands out for me, uh, Jill, of course, Danny Boyne, Here Comes the Sun. But um, I remember – I think it was the first time that – I think it might have been your sister was there. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing that we do in music therapy is, you know, just try to capture the the essence of the person in a song, in music, and kind of play that, you know, like I said, to honor. And I remember – we. Talking to uh, to the, your family about his his bike riding as well, and I remember doing uh, "Rambling Man" by the Alman yeah. Brothers, yeah. and uh, so that for me that was the song that really resonated of of who he was because like how you explained before that he was you know he was mm-hmm. such a fighter and um, you know that that songs I I feel really um, at least in my limited interaction with him, you know, uh, really kind of represented who he was. But
3: I think Stefan played like a myriad of songs that all what was beautiful about. And again, I'll be the first to say that here I was, I'm a professional social worker built in death and dying, but now I had to kind of put that hat aside and be the daughter and be the daughter Mm -hmm. who was taking Mm -hmm. care of her dying parent and the daughter who had to deal with all the family dynamics that were going on and then be present for myself. And all my emotions and you know Stefan called and he explained music therapy and quite frankly at first I was kind of resistant because there was so much chaos kind of going on in the house and I didn't know how my dad would receive it and then finally Stefan was very patient and you know he checked back and when he called and and, and he came and he made the first visit my father just absolutely like from what I heard he just kind of lit up the room because you played songs on your visits that kind of tied all our lives together. So there's all this right. sadness because you're watching, you know, the loss of your shared life together and you're, you know, experiencing all this anticipatory grief, you know, mm-hmm. waiting for that moment to die. You know you're, that this person you love very much is going to die and a piece of your life is dying and your family and your history. But the beautiful thing with music was there were songs that Stefan played that were each a part of us, like, you know, Rambling Man. My dad was a, a motorcycle rider, and he loved riding <laughs> motorcycles, and, you know, he played that, and, and, and he also loved Bob Marley. So <laughs> he played some Bob Marley songs for him, but he also played songs that, that we would sing with him, too. And I think oh, um, you liked to tie when he was dying that day. You said, you know, I always like kind of, of – Playing a song that is a bit more hopeful for that kind of passage, that transformation mm-hmm. that we may all go through, and that was "Here Comes the Sun." But Danny Boy, I, I'm really excited to hear it um, because it was a song that was so meaningful. It really is a song sort of about, you know, the uh, the Irish American experience, and it was something that was very very important to my dad. And um, I'd love to just hear you sing it again. It was it was. So healing for all of us.
4: All right, so let's hear it. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I did. Um, I was uh, honored to come and and play this at his his funeral as well, and it was um, a beautiful service. So, all right, here we go. <clears throat>
5: pipes are calling From glen to glen And down the mountainside The summer's gone And all the rose is falling Tis you must go, tis you must go I must abide Come ye back when summer's in the meadow Or when the valley's hushed and white with snow Tis I'll be there in sunshine or in shade
2: to me oh wow that's beautiful i have tears in my eyes i can just see at the funeral all the i i assume he had a police entourage or whatever there
3: no we uh, my dad's been retired he was in the fire department but he's been retired for many the years fire department we- we did have his motorcycle group and we had people from yeah. you know, his uh, fire department. So it was yeah. um and just our family. I mean, it's um Danny Boy is just it's ingrained in our, our family and, and it's the you know, song of the sort of the Irish experience of yeah. and loss and, and you know it's also a story of a song of love and we wanted my dad to know that in his final days and final hours, the one thing that he was surrounded by was love. And, um, you know, people have used music and song to comfort one another, you know, from time and memorials. Right. But, you know, to almost lullaby him to the next world and to know he was loved mm. was the last message we all wanted him to know. I,
1: I like that, Jill, because that was so beautiful here in the studio. And, and I like how you said to almost lullaby him into the next world because it felt like that as Stefan was singing, that I could kind of just visualize your dad kind of moving into the next world.
3: Yeah, and it was giving him permission. He, You know, he he did not, the nurses were like, wow, he hasn't eaten in like three weeks. You know, he did not want to die. Mm -hmm. And he did not, you know, some people say that, you know, just give people permission to go. And in a way, it, it just gave him permission to do whatever he needed to do, whether it was to fight until his last dying breath, But he knew that we were there by his side, and he knew that he was loved. And that song is about loss and love. But it was, um, you know, it was uh, very, very powerful. What music therapy also did for us during this very chaotic experience, was it made us all slow down and stop and be together as a family because, Mm -hmm. you know, we were all doing different things to keep everything going. You know, yeah. we were. My mom was not well either, and um, you know, so we we're helping take care of her. One of us was cooking, one of us was cleaning, one of us was taking care of kids, one of us was taking care of dad. So when Stefan was there, and we knew he'd be there, it gave us the opportunity to all join together and to be, you know, there to kind of have a healing power of music. And these are memories we're all going to have in a very positive way. And, you know, Stefan himself, I think it takes a very special person to do what he does. I I don't think that's just something someone can—I think it's a gift in a way, and it takes a very special person to have—to sit with the dying, to sit with their family, the strong, powerful emotions that go along with that. And um, he was so good, like, with my father— um, everybody from hospice was, you know, giving him the dignity and addressing him by his name and always talking to him. And, and, you know, when he sang, he sang to my dad and to the whole family, but he would talk to my dad and made sure that that respecting the fact that even though he was dying, that he was still present in this world. So, well, um,
2: that, yeah. Now,
3: Jill, I wanted to
2: ask you, if I'm listening to this show, um, do you have any recommendations that you and Stefan, too, about um, how soon I should get into hospice, or how I should get in touch with them by my family member, or you know, Stefan, do you have any thoughts about that? Um, about when people should come in and how you get them to? I mean, it can be difficult because I know. Don't you have to sign something that you um, that you're going to die within six months or something? Yeah. To get in. So I know it can be touchy. Your dad waited till you know the end. But right. Do you have any thoughts or advice for us? Sh- sure. Oh, yeah. I-
3: Oh, go ahead. I could I could address that both personally and professionally, having worked on both sides. But you go
4: ahead, Stefan. Um, yeah, you know it's. Um, uh, it, it, you want to get in as as soon as you can, of course, because it it gives it gives the patient and family time, uh, for this culminating process and to kind of go over the life, um, and you know that way it's it's less chaotic when they do come on service, and uh, then that way, you know, it's we can do a lot of things anticipating what's going to happen and we can follow them over a period of time. and you know, it's something that is um, something going on in hospice right now as as palliative care programs um, become more and more extensive in in the hospitals. Um, hospitals are tending to keep, Keep patients longer because um, their palliative programs are so much better, so they're able to ma- manage symptoms and things like that a lot longer. And so, you know, hospice from our side in hospice, we're seeing referrals uh, coming on later and later. Um, but ultimately, it's always it's always the physicians. Um, decision they have to make the determination that their hospice appropriate. Um, someone has to sign off on it, and uh, as in terms of physician, and then the hospice will make their own um, their own evaluation. So, but I don't know what else yeah, you wanted to touch base on there, Jill.
3: Well, I mean, professionally speaking, having you know had the talk with patients who have been dying of cancer on hospice, it. it you know, a doctor has to basically say that a person has at least a six-month prognosis. So that's, that's the one criteria all hospice kind of evaluates for. Yeah. Whether that patient and the family, first of all, whether the patient and the family can, can be appropriate for hospice, like Stefan you know, talked about, um, you know, there is this kind of myth out there that if someone is on home hospice, that hospice comes in and takes care of everything, and that's not the case. In cases the family takes care of everything, and hospice is really there as I mean, the care increases as the patient is dying. But you, as the family, with a little bit of skilled nursing care and a nursing visit a couple of times a week, you, the family, are providing the medication management, addressing the changes, the you know, the night care. Um, so if, if If you're not or if the patient's not suitable to be on home hospice, because a lot of times patients do suffer from things like terminal agitation, which they're up and they can be very combative at night. And, you know, um, sometimes it's more appropriate for a person to be inpatient hospice if they don't Mm -hmm. have that kind of ability to be supported at home. But for our family, Gloria, you know, I kind of knew what my dad's prognosis was. He was in a bit of, um, first of all, he was very, very independent up until eight weeks before he died. He really mm-hmm. didn't get sick until about eight weeks before he died. And when he died, you know, when he when he got sick, he rapidly started making a turn for the worse. But he, in some ways, the doctors did talk to him about sort of what his prognosis, but the real talk about, death didn't come until about because he was holding up such extreme hope. And and it wasn't he he wasn't ready to receive that information until about three or four months before he actually died. Mm -hmm. And um, it was also respecting his wishes. He did Mm -hmm. not. He was a very private man. He did not really like a lot of outside care Um, in his generation or how he grew up if you needed someone to come in the home and care for you, it meant you were really sick. And so right. for him, he really didn't like being surrounded by strangers, you know, and you're also, your body's going through things, which are kind of, if you were conscious, you'd probably be extremely embarrassed. And he even said that to the nurses at one point when he kind of, kind of became conscious was I'm embarrassed about what's happening to me. Cause you know, he was a very strong, independent, self-sufficient and private man. So you know, for him, acknowledging, you know, he got sick in the hospital with pneumonia, and we talked to him while he was still conscious and said, do you think it's ready to call in hospice? And when he kind of nodded and said yes, it was an admission now that he knew he was dying, but he said, to, he said to us, I don't really want help from anybody else until the time comes. He wanted us to care for him. And I think that people don't really realize that depending on how you grow up in your culture— and how you're raised, like, a lot of people still want family to take care of them. Yeah. And, well, um, Jill,
2: I, I think that um, that is right, and I think some of the points you're bringing up right now are really important, and I, I would say to people that are listening to the show, you've heard a, a family that really handled house, home hospice beautifully with music and with all the things that they had and with the care, but as Jill said, it is tough, and... You really do. If you're listening to the show, you really need to think about this, and you need to talk to your professionals at the hospital or whatever, and and work these issues through about what you, what you can and cannot do, and right. and what you need or or don't need. It's not it's not an easy issue. So, uh, thank you, Jill and Stefan, for being on and talking about this. and and uh, showing the possibilities at home, it's, uh, it's really beautiful. And uh, also, but also having a realistic point of view for people that are listening, what they might, might or might not need to do for their family. And thank you so much for being on the show.
3: I know for us, Gloria and Heidi, just to kind of close, is that, you know, because we had such compassionate, the people who work for Calvary, they're so compassionate for us in our grief process. It was really very healing that we had wonderful nurses and social workers and music therapists. It it, it kind of, like, buffers that pain and sadness that goes along with grieving because, you know, we could at least say that we had these wonderful, comforting, compassionate people that took care of us and took care of our father. And it really does help. It really does help when when you're grieving the loss of someone to know that you provided the best you could and you had the most compassionate professionals around you.
4: Yeah and I'll just I'll just say really quick for um you know music is is such a powerful tool um that can be used you know having a music therapist obviously is is very beneficial but you know not everyone's that lucky and even in in uh, grief and bereavement um you know music can be very powerful and Uh, through the grief and bereavement process, music can bring out a lot of emotions. And, um, you know, it can be a very positive, cathartic experience. Um, And, you know, I'd recommend for um, anyone listening that's uh, going through the grief and bereavement process, you know, I'd encourage you to, you know, explore different kinds of music with different lyrical content and just kind of be aware of the memories it brings back the emotions it brings out and you know kind of use use the music to you know honor and remember your loved ones and you know, um and so it's uh it can be a really helpful tool if, if used properly
1: that's that's great advice thanks jill and stuff and this was a fabulous show and um i love the power of music so thank you
2: thank you so much And thanks for listening to our show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours till you find your own and visit us at opentohope.com and God bless.
0: You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Doctors Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.